Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, episode number 26. This week brought to you by Audible. I'm your host, Zach Hamilton. My guest for this week is film and television composer Jeff Russo. Jeff is an American composer, songwriter, guitarist, vocalist, and music producer, and one of the two founding members of the rock band Tonic. He is known for his work on Fargo the Series, The Night Of, Legion, and Star Trek Discovery. After today's episode, be sure to check out part two of my talk with Jeff Russo, where Jeff talks about what got him interested in music and his work with the band Tonic. Part two will air on the Music Revere podcast later this week on Friday, June 29th. And with that, it's now time to take a quick commercial break. All right, guys and gals, are you like me and want something more than music to listen to during your morning commute? Maybe you want to start reading more, but don't have the time to sit down and open a book. Well, for people on the go, there's Audible. Audible offers over 180,000 audiobooks to listen to on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, Audible is giving Film Revere podcast listeners a slam and deal. Go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast for a free 30-day trial and more importantly, get a free audiobook. Once again, go to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. That's audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Thanks again to Audible for their support and thank you listeners. Now back to the show. Well, welcome to the Film Revere Podcast, Jeff. Thank you for having me. So on the show today, we're going to be discussing how you transitioned from being in the rock band Tonic to becoming arguably one of the busiest composers in the film and television industry right now. First up, how did you get introduced to the idea of composing music for film and television? Well, you know, I think I think I was always I always loved film music. You know, I, I never really thought specifically about film music. I just loved the music, right? Um, but it wasn't until I was playing guitar on a film score um, in 2001 that it, it, I even understood that it was something that could be done by someone that, like me. Um, so it, it, I went into a friend of mine's studio and played, he asked me to play guitar on the score uh, of, that he was writing. And I, from that point on, I was like, I think more interested in, in, the, in the music um, of film and TV than I had ever been before. Uh, cut to about six years later, um, Tonic took a break from touring and um, took a break from making records. And I kind of needed to um, figure out what it was I was going to do next because I didn't know. I didn't know, would I make a solo record? Would I can try to be a record producer? Would I write songs for other people? Yeah. And I have, a, I have a very good friend. Her name is Wendy Melvoin. She's half of the duo Wendy and Lisa. And she, asked, she suggested that I come down to the studio, her studio, and hang out and watch her and Lisa write music for the couple of shows that they were working on. And I said, yeah, that would be great. And I did. And, um, so I stayed there for like three or four weeks just watching what they do. And then they, they asked me if I wanted to go to work for them and assist them. And I said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I did. Um, I started assisting them and uh, then do, uh, eventually writing some additional music for them on, on a couple of shows. And um, 
it, it was a watershed moment for me because what I realized was I enjoyed writing the type of music that was required to write in order to tell a narrative story as opposed to writing songs where the narrative was built into the lyric, you know, all of a sudden I was writing music to someone else's story, which I found to be quite enthralling. Um, And I worked worked for them for about a year, year and a half, not even a year and a half, about a year. Um, And then, you know, sort of transitioned from there into, into, you know, getting my own work and, and, and trying to write music for, for, um, for narrative. I love how you were introduced to this because it doesn't sound like it could have been any better. Again, assisting is such a great way to learn the craft because you're seeing people that are doing it professionally. Um, and also being able to participate in the same case as well. It's so great. Um, what, were there any challenges that you faced early on in your career as a composer? I mean, you know, the challenges that I think everybody faces, um, which is how to go about getting a job, you know, like True, how, yeah. do you, how do you go about finding your way into a business that is literally built on relationships? You know, the, the, I mean, 90% of all the jobs in, 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 um, in this business are, are really they're based on some form of relationship. It's not all about who you know, but it's like, you know, it's a very personal, it's a very personal relationship based um, uh, industry. And you got to figure out how to find your way into that, into that relationship world. You know, Um, sometimes it's, you know, you get lucky and somebody asks you to do a demo and they like the demo and then you go in and meet them and you guys hit it off. And then all of a sudden you have a relationship and then you're off to the races. Um, and that, that's kind of what happened with me where I knew someone, I, I knew an actor, he, a friend of mine was an actor on a show and he was like, I'm doing a pilot. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if they have a composer. And he was like, let me ask. And he asked the, the, the producer and the producer was like, no, we don't, we don't have a composer. Um, we're going to be looking for some, if you have a friend, tell him to, you know, send us a reel or a demo or whatever. And, you know, he called me, he said, Hey, did you have a reel? And I said, yeah, why don't I write a demo? So I wrote a demo and I sent it to them. And a few weeks later, somebody called me and said that they wanted to have a meeting with me. And it, it really did sort of happen like that. It, I, I happened to write the right piece of music that, you know, as a matter of fact, it wasn't even the right piece of music because that piece of music never ended up in the show. Um, but it, it, it turned somebody's attention up on my, you know, the way I, I, I write music. And that sort of prompted a meeting and then we sort of hit it off in the meeting and then he hired me to do his first show. And that, that guy is the person who ended up, um, producing Fargo and producing Legion and, and, um, and producing these other shows that I've done with him and is producing and directing this movie that I'm working on right now. So it was sort of, you know, one thing leads to another thing, leads to another thing, leads to another thing. And and it, it was like the luck of the, of the roll of the dice, luck of the draw, whatever you want to call it. It was being in the right place at the right time with the right music and the right meeting and the right this and the right that. And that's, that's sort of how I got into you know, working. 
Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that ha- is attributed to the fact that you were prepared. It's not like you were just waiting for that moment. Like you had everything prepared for when you actually got that moment. So when you did, you were able to produce a demo reel. You knew what you were doing in order for that reel to succeed and end up landing you this job. And ultimately the relationship, which is such a key thing, I think, with composers, especially music is such an important part of film that you really do end up beginning to build a relationship with either producers or the directors, because once they find someone they can trust to help share their story and help tell their story, you don't want to lose that. You don't want to have to go through that all over again. So when you find someone who's good at that and you collaborate well with, it does end up leading to these relationships as you discussed just now. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. You know, so luck is actually the preparation and being prepared for when the opportunity, you know, shows itself. And I I think that, that's what luck is in general. It's like being prepared for the opportunity. So when the opportunity arises, you can try to seize on it. Um, and you're right about the, 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 um, the, the idea of the relationship between filmmaker and composer. I think that in general, film, we're all filmmakers. We all are storytellers. And, and yeah. when you do find the person who you connect with on a storytelling journey, um, yeah, I mean, it can be very fortuitous. I mean, look look at Steven Spielberg and John Williams and George Lucas and John Williams. It's like they've, mm-hmm. each one of those filmmakers found their musical muse in John Williams, you know. Now, granted, John Williams is, you know, obviously one of the greatest um, film composers of, of our time. And really what that that also makes him is one of the great storytellers of our time and imagine those stories without his music you can't oh yeah you can't and it's the same with a lot of um a lot of the the director slash composer relationships you know they they transcend the jobs and the storytelling technique and the storytelling ideal sort of goes hand in hand so when you see a spielberg movie that doesn't have a John Williams score, something feels different. That's not to say that it's not good, but it feels different, you know, um, and Ready Player One felt different than The Post. And Ready Player One was a great score. It was beautiful. Alan Silvestri is an amazing composer, but it, it feels different because it's a different storyteller. You know, the, the storytelling is different. It's very Um, true. They complement one another. Yeah, and, and that's not to say that Alan Silvestri didn't compliment Spielberg's storytelling, and he did. He, he absolutely did. It just felt like, it felt like a different kind of Spielberg movie. You know? Definitely. Well, and taking a step back and looking at one of your first big projects, which was a television series, The Unusuals, in 2009, what was going through your head when you found out that you had landed this particular show? Well, you know, again, that was that was this particular story that I'm telling, which is that was the first show that I ever got hired on. And that okay. was that was Noah Hawley, who hired me to do it, who created that show, who then went on to do My Generation, and then Fargo and now Legion. And we continue to work together. Um, we've developed this um, language, you know, the shorthand of, of how to how to storytell with music in conjunction with the way he likes to tell stories. Um, Yeah, I mean, when I found out that they wanted to hire me, I, I, you know, I was really excited. It was like that was my first job um, as a composer where it was going to be my name on the in the credits, you know, Um, and that was that was a pretty intense experience. 
it was really intense experience. Now, you know, the, the difference that I think I, um, I experienced, like the different type of experience it was for me was, you know, I had already gone through at that time about 15 years or 14 years of being in a band and, and having a career as a, as a recording artist and performing artist, um, that this was sort of a different feeling to me. And it was very interesting, you know, how exciting that was to be able to make that transition. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and speaking with your relationship with Noah Hawley, uh, leading into what I want to talk about next, which is your work with the television series Fargo, how did he approach you about coming on as a composer for that series? Well, you know, in the same way he approached me for all the series we've done together, which he just called me and he said, I'm doing Fargo, what do you think? And <laughs> I said, that sounds like, a plan. That sounds like a plan. Let's, let's do it. And, you know, he said the same thing I felt, which was, it's either going to be the worst idea ever or the best idea ever. And, and, you know, luckily it turned out to be the best idea, you know, um, all the things that we had done in order to, to, um, to get to the end result of that, you know, ended up, ended up making this thing that really felt like, um, like, its own identity and yet still was tied to the movie and yeah. was very cinematic. And we were able to tell the story with all of the violence and humor and, and emotion. And, you know, it, it had an emotional content to it that I think maybe the original, the, the original movie didn't quite tackle. Um, and I think that might be one of the things that separates it from the movie. Um, mm. But but turning, you know, turning the, the idea of doing a, a Fargo series into actually making a Fargo series was quite an extraordinary feat, I think, for Noah and for me. Was it ever at all challenging, again, having such a, you know, popular source material in the Fargo movie and then now having to kind of transition to the series? Was it hard for you writing music, having all this like, you know, previous material out there? Well, certainly, you know, it's like walking in the shadow of a giant, right? Carter Burwell is one of my favorite composers. I think he's really amazing. He wrote that, that score for that movie is probably the most iconic score for a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. And um, how that movie opens and that, that theme, which, which at the time I didn't even know this, but is, is, is based, on a, um, based on a Norwegian folk song and that melody um, is so iconic and so wonderful. You know, it's like, how do I evoke all of that while making it original material? It, it, was, it was more than it was difficult, it was terrifying. Yeah, I would imagine. That's definitely a lot to live up to. But again, I, I, you did really well. And, you know, I want to talk about your Emmy nominations as well, uh, as well as, you know, your win. But before we get to that, I'm just kind of getting to the actual, you know, the filming of the show and you scoring the show. Was there a particularly difficult scene to score uh, since being on the show for three seasons that stands out? I would say I don't know that there was one specific scene that was difficult to score. Um there, you know what? There was one particular scene in season one, um, and I'm not even sure if it made it into the show. There was one scene where um, Colin Hanks' character was chasing a dog in the snow around his around his uh, around his police car, 
Um, and it was trying to trying to walk that line between being too trying to be too light and too funny and not mm. wanting to be dark. Um, so I think in the end, we, we settled on m mostly no music um, and only a little bit of music in there. Yeah. Um, but that was that particular one was a difficult scene to 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 uh, to crack. Um, other than that, I, I don't remember there being one particular scene that was very difficult. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and getting on to the uh, Emmy Awards here, because it's it's really it's phenomenal. Again, you, you talked about the beginning of this you know topic, how terrifying it was for you to you know pick up the reins and do the score for this series. But again, as I said, you did an incredible job. And in fact, you've been nominated three times for a primetime Emmy and outstanding music composition for your work on Fargo. And in fact, won one of the three times in 2017. What were your thoughts when you were first nominated oh wow i mean that first the first time the first time i it, it's it's hard to it's hard to really describe it's like you don't even think it's possible and then of course there's imposter syndrome right so uh, at some point i was like they're gonna find out that i have no idea what i'm doing right <laughs> at some point somebody's gonna figure it out that i'm just flying by the seat of my pants um and there are all these other composers out there who have way more knowledge than I do uh, about how to write an orchestral score. Because keep in mind that Fargo was the very first orchestral score I had ever written in my entire life. I'd never written an oh, orchestral wow. score before. I didn't know the first thing about it. So it's, you know, you have to learn on the fly. It was how I learned how to play guitar. It was how I learned how to play everything I do. Um, but it was one of those moments where, you know, you don't think it's real. It didn't feel real when, when um, I got a call saying that I'd been nominated for an Emmy. Like that, that was, that, that was, it was, it was completely at the time unbelievable to me mm -hmm. um, that that could happen. And, uh, and then, I mean, forget about it. Like winning three, three years later, four years later, um, it's this, you have the same experience over, uh, over again. It's like being there and then having them call your name. is like, wait, they had to have read that wrong. What? That can't <laughs> you know. This is one of those famous moments we hear about where they, mis they mistakenly read the wrong name exactly. and that's now happening like, to me. They didn't bring their glasses on stage, so they couldn't see it and they just said any name. You know what I mean? Like anything like that. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a moment that you can't really describe. It's an, it's an indescribable moment, you know, that... It's so much disbelief and so much like angst, everything. There's so many feelings that go through your mind when something like that happens. Mainly it's, mainly it's disbelief. Definitely. You know, and on a bit of a side note, again, your band Tonic is still on tour, which we talked, touch on in a future episode on Music Reviewer podcast. But uh, how has that affected your work as a composer? Are you still able to go on tour as often as you'd like with Tonic or do you have to sometimes take a step away? Uh, well, I, I can't, I can't um, find the time to certainly go on tour. Um, I do, however, find the time to show up for a show here and there, Vegas, San Diego, like places that are close, Los Angeles. Um, but mainly the band continues to go out without me. And that's because I want the band to continue. I want what we created over 20 years to, to, to have a lasting impact and continue to play the music for, for people who really enjoy the music. When I can show up, I do. 
Yeah. I mean, and not to get too personal here, but has that affected your guys' relationship as friends and bandmates at all? Or have you guys are pretty accepting of what's going on right now? Yeah, I, I would say like there, there's no, it hasn't affected it in a negative way. It's affected it, I think, in a positive way. It's like everybody, as we, as we continue our, our journey in life, um, you know, each one of us wants the other to have as much happiness and success as we can. So I, I want Emerson to continue going out and playing the songs, um, you know, for, for selfish and non-selfish reasons. And I think he feels the same of me and, and, and we both feel the same of Dan. Dan is also not able to go out on tour. He's found a successful career in managing pop artists. He works with DNCE. Um, and is okay. So, and, and now is also managing Adam Lambert uh, and, and who's the singer in a little band called Queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little band. I don't. Right. I, I think there may be a movie in the works or something. I, I don't know. It's not. It's not a big deal, right? <laughs> so, so I think that as we as we grow and find the um, find the things that we that we are doing, you know, in this part of our lives, in this part of our careers, like we we all support one another in that way. And when we get back together to play shows, which we do, you know, and I, I'd say on more than more than one occasion, it's it's a lot of fun, and you can see. I think. You know, I think people in the audience can see that when we do play together, it's it's a different experience than when Emerson is out there with um, the band without us. But yeah, uh, that's because the personalities involved are um, are connected in a different way. Well, and I love that there's that support system again. You know, it could go either way; it could be positive or negative, and it's so great that it goes positive because it could be very easy uh, for there to be some tension there. So I love that you guys are all supporting of everyone's career paths, and then obviously your guys' joint career path with the band as well. Yeah. So, well, lastly, is there any films on the horizon or television shows that you'd like to let the listeners know about as we close the show here? Yeah. Well, you know, currently I'm working on a, I'm finishing work on a film called Mile Twenty Two, which is scheduled to be released on August 3rd, stars Mark Wahlberg, um, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and then I'm working on another, as of yet, untitled movie with Noah directing. Um, and that, uh, that's that got Natalie Portman and John Hamm in it. So that'll be fun, starting to work on that wow. um, this summer. And uh, I'm starting back with Star Trek Discovery and Legion Season two, 3 will come back a lot in the popper oh and this summer i've been working on a show called umbrella academy uh which is this really cool series for netflix based on a um, on a graphic novel very exciting well we'll definitely have to leave links to any information that we can find or trailers so that the listeners can kind of check these out uh, but again, a huge thank you to Jeff Russo for joining me on the show today. You can hear his latest work in Fargo, the series, Star Trek Discovery, Counterpart, Legion, Power, and countless other television and film shows. Again, we'll leave a link to his IMDb so you can check out all of his projects. Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. Well, that's the end of episode 26 of the Film Revere podcast. Please show your support for the FR podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you happen to listen to the show. Be sure to follow the company's social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Revered Network to get all updates first. Another great way to show your support is by getting a free audiobook and 30-day free trial from Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash frpodcast. Lastly, just a friendly reminder, be sure to tune in this Friday to catch part two of my talk with Jeff Russo to hear all about his work with the rock band Tonic. 
Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Film Revere Podcast. Have a great week.